I want to give you just a quick little recap. Here's the overall flow if you haven't been with us. Uh, this is what we're doing as a church. We just go verse by verse, line by line, straight through books of the Bible. We're not complicated. That's just, we just do that. We just trust that God's Word is sufficient. So we just do that. And so uh, this is the flow of the book of Genesis. If you've never seen anything like this, you can take a snapshot um, or email us. We'll, we'll shoot it to you. Genesis is broken up into two sections. There's four major events. There's four major people. That is the book of Genesis. Uh, we've made it all the way through today. Church, today we're going to wrap up the fourth of the major events. Uh, we'll be done with them, and then we'll move on in to, to the people. But, uh, so this is, this is the overall flow, but here's what we've seen. We've seen gender. We've seen marriage. We've seen sin. We've seen wrath. We've seen justice. We've seen salvation by grace through faith. All of these things um, all the way through the book of Genesis already. And, and so we made it last week to Noah. Go ahead and throw up that next graph. Um, this is Noah in a nutshell, his timeline. If you've ever wondered, how long was Noah in the boat? What did that look like? Uh, it seems like a short span of time. We're actually talking about 370 days from the beginning of the flood to the end of a boat. That is a lot of time with a floating zoo, right? There's a lot going on there. And so this is all that happens throughout this whole time. We've looked at that. Through that we saw covenant. We saw capital punishment. We saw procreation. We saw all of these things be fruitful, multiply as they came out. We ended last week with them heading out of the ark into this grand display, left with a brand new start, a whole new start to... The creation that had to be decreated and then recreated through uh, Noah. All is well. There's one race. We've got Noah is this patriarch of patriarchs. It, he starts with worship. I mean, that's the kind of leader you want, right? He, he leads everybody out. And the first thing that happens is they form an altar and they have a moment of worship. It's a brand new Adam, if you will. Everything is back to new. The Mankind is to spread out. There's really nothing that can go wrong, right? Nothing can go wrong. I mean, after all, we finally have a righteous man leading it. Right? Okay. Genesis, where we pick back up in chapter 10. Then the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard again. Nothing can go wrong. And he drank of the wine, and he became drunk, and he laid uncovered in his tent. What on earth? I mean, the brother drank the whole box of Franzia. Not just a glass, the whole thing. He got turnt, if you will. This is where Turk came from right here. Verse 22, in Ham, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and he told his brothers who were outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. I can't help but think of the song we just sang. We're so prone to wonder, aren't we? We're so prone to leave the God we love. Right out of the boat. And this happens. Verse 24. When Noah awoke from his wine, <laughs> took a couple of leaves, and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. 
May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. And y'all should know this after a couple of sermons a minute ago, uh, weeks ago. And the days of Noah were 950 years and, and he died. That's how it, the story ends for everybody in the Bible. He died, he died, he died. So first... What on earth is going on in this historical narrative? I just want to kind of blow through some of these things. Let's, let's give a recap of this narrative. What, what just happened? What did we just hear? Okay, so here's what we heard. Noah had some sons and a whole lot of grandkids. Particularly, there's one grandkid that's noted five times in this text. Noah gets absolutely hammered. He ties one on. He gets hot. He gets flushed. Everybody in this room is like, I don't, I don't know what that means. What does it mean he got hot? You, okay, he, he had enough to where he starts getting flushed, he starts getting hot, and so he got naked. That's what happened. Don't over-spiritualize the passage. That is what happened. He got hot, he got naked, he passed out on the floor. No moderation. Sin, dear friends, is alive and well. <laughs> All of the, the ark landed and sin is still alive and well. Ham, his son, one of his sons, thinks it's funny, apparently. I think that's what you can see from this text. He thinks it's funny because instead of covering his father, what does he do? He runs out to tell his brothers. He goes out to tell his brothers. This is, if it would have been social media back in the day, it would have been something like, hashtag, daddy can't handle his own weight. Hashtag, look at pops. Hashtag, hammered and out, whatever. This is kind of this moment. He goes out and tells his brothers. Shem and Japheth are a little bit different. Shem and Japheth, they respect their father and they go and they cover him up. How? Very discreetly. Backwards. They, they don't even look. They, they go to cover their father up. Noah wakes up and he curses Canaan. Canaan? Canaan don't got nothing to do with this. This is the grandson. Remember, it's the three sons, Ham, Shem, Japheth. And apparently what happens is, is Noah sees something in Canaan that is a lot like his father Ham and sees that this is going to continue on and he curses Canaan. We'll get to that in a second. Noah dies and this speaks honestly to Scripture. He just tells it like it is. That's what I love about the Scriptures. Like if a man wrote the Scriptures, they would have flowered this up a bit, right? Noah was a great man. He had a, he had a little fall, but then he continued on. He got a little better, and, and we should all be proud of, of, old, uh, of old Noah. It doesn't. It just ends that way. Got drunk, got naked, passed out, died, boom. Whoa. It just speaks to the veracity of Scripture. I love it. It's godly inspired. So, so this is what's going on in this historical narrative. But, but second, why is Moses telling us all this? Why is he telling, remember, the book of Genesis, particularly all these three things are being told to the people who are in the Exodus. So this is when it's all penned. The nation of Israel has left Egyptian captivity. They're wandering through the wilderness. They're on the Exodus. And they begin asking questions. How did all this begin? And Moses then tells them how it all began, which is what pins the book of Genesis. Does that make sense? Hopefully you have caught that by now. So he's telling them some things. Why is he telling them this? Why is he telling us this? I think there's a couple of things we can see out of this. A couple of things, and let's um, 
maybe we can learn from Noah in this moment. Number one, I think we can see the very best of us are flawed sinners at best. (laughs) The very best of us are flawed sinners at best. I mean, yes, we are the people who are in need of grace, just like Noah. I mean, think about it. Noah got a grand covenant, got a covenant sealed with a gigantic bow in the sky. He goes from covenant to bow to drunk in his tent like that. Satan and a whole host of other people, namely ourselves, would love to point out our habits, our hiccups, our hang-ups, and all this kind of stuff. And we need someone to cover our nakedness, just like the brothers killed, covered Noah's. It's, it's grace. It's all grace. Right from the beginning, we see the gospel right out of the gate. If we can learn anything, it's that we shouldn't look at Noah and go, How dare you? Are you crazy, Noah? We should back up and go... I'm Noah. I'm Noah. I'm that guy. I'm the one that needs covering. I'm the one that needs somebody to cover my nakedness. We see this in this text. And because of how scandalous grace is, in no way should we ever warp or twist it and mock it. And here's what I mean by that. First thing I think is we can see that we're very best of flawed of sinners. We do need grace. That is true. But just because we're flawed sinners, we can never be the people that go, well, I am a flawed sinner and God knows my heart. He knows my habits and hiccups, so I'll just keep on doing them. We can never fall to that category either. We can never justify our sinful choices just because we're prone to wonder. Because we're prone to leave the God we love. And listen, if you've ever been around Safe Haven for any period of time, I guarantee you, you've heard grace spoken a lot. If you're in Safe Haven, if you're a covenant partner, and you will readily say, I am a messed up soul who is only clinging to the hope of the cross. Raise your hand real high for everybody to see. All right. If you're a visitor, you're in a safe place. You will hear nobody at Safe Haven say, we have life figured out, or we got it, we're, we're climbing the ladder. Or You will hear us say, we are messed up needing grace. Okay, that's what you'll hear. But church, we can also go, hey, we can never sit on that and go, just because that's true, I can do quite literally whatever the I want to do. This is what's going on in this text as well. So yes, we need grace, but because we're flawed sinners, yes, we, all need, we need to focus too. We need to be a people of focus. Here's what I mean by this, and and let's tie it back into Noah here. When we get apathetic, sins hammer us that we have avoided for years if we're not careful. Noah's lived a long time. Long time. He's avoided this. He has lived a life of moderation his whole life. When everybody's around and when everybody's pointing at him and going, hey, listen, what are you doing standing for the Lord? Why are you building an ark? What are you, what are you? He stood strong, didn't he? He he stood firm. In the midst of persecution, it was easy for him to go, I don't care what you think, I will stand for the Lord. But when there was no persecution, 
and he got in the quiet of his own closet and nobody else was looking, he grew lazy, he grew apathetic, and that's the moment that it punched him right in the teeth, didn't it? You can't let down. And so we see this. We see this man who had remained faithful. He was laboring for the Lord for years and years and years. And not just 50 years. We're talking about hundreds of years, okay? He's laboring. And in the middle of his own comfort zone, he became vulnerable and he became lazy and it got him. So what can we learn from this? We're at the best flawed sinners in need of grace. Grace junkies... We'll have a grace rave party at Safe Haven, right? Boom. The cabbage patch in my big baggy pants, break. There we go. Uh, you can ask him about that later. Um, but we can't rest on that. Because God's grace frees us, it frees us to war against our sin. Let's not take that lightly. I think we can learn that from the text. Number two. I think the thing we can see about this is our sin has an impact on others in ways we could have never dreamed or imagined. Again, who got cursed when a ham was the one who didn't cover up his father? Who got cursed? Canaan. Let that sink in your brain. Canaan is probably... Bebopping around playing ball with somebody else. And, you know, I don't know what they played ball with, but they're, they're probably having a, a good old time. Play. They, he has no clue what's going on. And he's the one who gets impacted. I think we can see something this, th- some things from this. Noah's sins impacted his weak son, Ham, in that case. What did he do? Well, he sinned against his father. God takes very seriously honor your father and mother. So much so that it's the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Right? Now granted, Exodus 20 hasn't occurred yet as far as we know. And it's not necessarily penned and codified in the text that we have. But it's still very much God's heart that if you want to honor me, you honor your father and mother. And Ham totally disgraces his father in this moment. God don't play with that. Um, And so in this moment, he sins against his father, therefore against God, and Ham is impacted. But it also does impact his entire family. What what was unified is now fractured. This family unit that was so strong together is now fractured. Brothers become enemies. The lineage is split apart. Families become enemies. So much so that this is where the Canaanites come from now. If you're a biblicist in any shape, form, or fashion, this should strike a chord with you of where I'm going with this. Because up until this point, there was one unified group of people. Now at this moment, Canaan is cursed. The Israelites are headed through Exodus. As they land in the nation of Israel, God is going to say to the nation of Israel, Go and wipe out who? Canaanites, wipe them all out. Joshua chapter 6, go wipe out the women, go wipe out the men, go wipe out the babies, go wipe out the oxen, and go wipe out the donkeys. Of all things, the stupid donkeys. I mean, they're doing nothing but in the fields doing 
I don't know what donkeys do, right? It's kind of like, what does the fox that? You know, I don't know what they're, they're eating, whatever. They didn't do anything, nothing. And this tracks back all the way to this moment. Sin will take you farther than you ever dreamt or imagined and deeper than you ever thought possible and keep you longer than you ever wanted to be there. This is what we see through this text. And so as we look at all this, Noah's sin then continues through all human race. And all of human race ultimately is divided into two people, right? It's bleak, let's, bleak, let's be clear. It's our choice. It's not Noah's fault. Let's not walk out of here and go and, <laughs> you know, I ate three combo number twos at McDonald's because of Noah. <laughs> no, you ate three combos at number at McDonald's because you wanted to. You know, let's not pawn it off. Let's be clear. It's, it's our choice. But from this, there's those who dishonor the Lord with intentionality and there's those who honor the Lord with intentionality. We see that in this text. So it's, it's a very clear call that we should be curse breakers, not curse initiators. In other words, your sin doesn't just affect you, even if it's in the privacy of your own closet. Be careful about that. I think we can see that in this text. And then number three, I would say this, we can learn from this test, text. It's, it's impossible for what has been fractured to be made whole again apart from a divine miracle. The splits occurred. The split occurred with Adam. All things go haywire. We get to Noah. Things are new again. The split occurs, blah, blah, blah. And so we're broken off. We are absolutely broken off in Ham because we are of Canaan. We're the dogs. And this is the scandal of the gospel. Apart from a divine miracle, we don't have any hope. Let me help you understand a little more about how we're in Canaan and how grotesque this is. And maybe this will paint a picture. It comes from Matthew chapter 15. Some of you guys will remember the story. Not story. I always want to be careful. Some of you guys will remember this history because it's not just a story. This is history. Matthew chapter 15, this woman comes up to Jesus and her daughter is demonized. And so she walks up to Jesus and is like, hey Jesus, listen, my daughter is, is got this demon, is driving her mad, all these things are going on. Jesus looks at her square in the eyes and does not say, oh, well, I, I love you and I'm really sorry about that and I'll make things new and well and whole again. He doesn't do that at all. The thing that he does is he looks at her and he goes, Hey lady, I am only here for the lost children of Israel. You guys remember this? You remember this? He says, I'm here for just the lost children of Israel. And then he goes on to say to this Canaanite woman, he says to her, And therefore it is not right for me to give you what is bread to a dog. In this moment, he calls her a dog. So, lest you think that you, you just have to walk out as a Christian and just tell everybody you love them, all that kind of stuff, here's your freedom to walk out and tell anybody you want that they're a dog. There you go. That's not true. Don't do that. But Jesus goes out and he says, Listen, it's not right for me to give the bread to your dogs, and you're a dog. You Canaanite woman. That's us. That's how gross we are. 
That all goes back to this moment. It is impossible for anything of righteous sake to be fixed because we're broken. And it only takes a divine miracle. And here's what happens. This woman, this Canaanite dog woman, our people, says this to Jesus. I hear you. But even the dogs eat from the scraps of bread that fall off of the table onto the floor. And in that moment, she goes, I hear you, (laughs) but you're my only hope. You're all I've got. In other words, she says, I believe John 14, 6 is true. That you're the way, you're the life, and nobody makes it to the Father but you. Where else am I going to get bread? So Jesus, if all I can do is lick up the crumb off of the floor as a nasty Canaanite, broken, cursed person, just let me eat the crumb from the floor. And then Jesus goes, whoa. Yes, this is a person I can trust. Yes, this is a person of faith. Yes, woman, go. Your daughter has been made well. I took what was broken and I made it right. That's the miracle of the gospel, church. We're the Canaanite dogs. We don't have any hope. We are not the children of Israel. (laughs) Well, we are after, that's a whole other story for another day, through covenant. Tyler will wrap that up in systematic theology next semester. So there's you a plug for him. He'll figure that one out for you. <laughs> but here in this moment, you get this woman. And then Jesus says, for this one, I will perform a miracle of bringing unity to what's broken. We can see the gospel all throughout Noah's story. And this is the scandal of Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 through 28. And then we'll keep going. Paul says it this way. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Therefore, in Christ there is no longer Jew, there is no longer Greek, there is no longer slave, there is no longer free, there is no longer male, there is no longer female... For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is the miracle of unification that stands for you today if you've not placed your faith in Christ. He can take what's broken and make it whole again. The gospel stands for you. Until then, it's just all a chaotic, divided mess. Mess of divisions. And here we are, the last of the four major events culminates with the Tower of Babel. That's what any commentator is going to call this section. It's how the mass spreading of humanity now spreads out all across the face of the earth. I'm going to throw a map up here for you. Um, Another map. There we go. I hope you all find these helpful. I think they're helpful to see kind of what's going on. Uh, So now you've got Noah, the ark lands, chaos occurs, and then all of a sudden everything's broken. You've got cursings, blah, blah, blah. And now the... Quite literally, all of his children just spread all over the globe. And they spread to here. So if you've ever wondered, okay, well then how do animals get across? There's all kinds of ways. You've got the Bering Strait. They start spreading out. Animals start going across. You've got ages of ice bridges and all kind of stuff. And just boom, just people go everywhere. This is where you came from. Here you go, right here. Uh, So here's his children. And ultimately this is where all ethnic 
political divides occur. This is where language happened. This is where geographical divisions occur all right here in this passage. I'm going to skip all of the genealogical sections. And so uh, you guys can go read that at home today right before you go take your Sunday afternoon nap. I promise you these genealogies will flat put you to sleep so you can go read those, okay? I'm going to skip all of that, and I'm just going to highlight the actual event of the Tower of Babel that occurs right out of Noah. It's in chapter 11, 1 through 9, and I'm going to give you a bonus verse at the very end, but let's look at it together. Now, the whole earth, after all of this occurs, had one language and the same words. Everybody's one. It's united. Everybody's one. The busting up is about to occur. And as people migrated from the east... Oh, that's a side note, man. That's so good. Do y'all remember when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden? They were cast out which direction? To the east. And every time they keep going east and east and east and east, meaning they're getting further and further and further from the garden. They're getting further and further from the Lord. Okay, that's, we don't have time for that. They found a, a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Uh, Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in heaven and let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the whole face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. There's us there. Circle that. If you circle your Bibles, buddy, you better circle that one. Let us go down. That's some good stuff. Wednesday night, we'll talk about that. Okay, Trinity, that's a little plug there. Uh, Come, let us go down. And they're confused their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. There it is. There's the spreading out. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all of the earth. And so if you've not studied the Bible a lot and you've ever wondered, where did all the languages come from? Here you go. Here's where the dispersing happens. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Number four, here we go. The Tower of Babel teaches us a whole lot about the intentions of our heart. It's a whole other sermon for another day, but we're going to jam it in here today. Uh, it's just like Joe said to me last week. Joe said, Troy, you keep jamming five gallons of water into a two-gallon bucket. Well, I'm going to give you seven gallons today. Keep on piling it in, all right? This is a whole other message for another day. What can we see out of this? First, it shows us this, that we all have the heart of Babel if we're not intentionally set against it. We'll all have this heart. Here's what I mean by that. Let's look at it. They're, they're no different than Herod. They're no different from Stalin. They're no different from Hitler. They're no different from us. We want to have the voice of a God and not that of man. And they wanted that. They wanted the same power. They wanted their own little kingdoms. Their own little kingdoms at home. Their own little kingdoms at work. Their own little kingdoms in their car. They wanted their own little kingdoms. They wanted to, Nike, just do it. Set your mind to it and do it. That's what they wanted. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. Let's look at some of the phrases. Let us make bricks and tar. In other words, by our ingenuity, we can be stable and we can build a permanent spot. We can set it down. We will build our brick and mortar right here. We will chart our permanent path. 
let us not be scattered. They didn't want to be scattered, smothered, covered, chunked. They didn't want none of that. Let us do this. We like the garden that we've made. We like it right here. We, We like to be comfortable. We're in a comfortable spot. Listen to this phrase. And let us build a city and make a name for ourselves. In other words, we don't need God to come to us. We can go to Him. You see that? We're going to build a a tower to the sky. We're going to have a legacy and we're going to make this legacy so much much so that we climb up into heaven like Jack and the Beanstalk and God go, well, there you go. You made it. I didn't think anybody would make it. But you, my friends, have made it. You've made a name for yourselves. This is kind of what they want, right? And all of that is an offense to God because settling in this moment is a blatant rebellion to God's instruction to do what? Adam, get out there and be fruitful and multiply. Boom. Noah, the exact same thing. Bust out of the ark. First command. Get out there and be fruitful and multiply. And they go, nah, we don't want no part of that. We like it right here in my comfy lazy boy. I like it. So in this moment, God's concern is not that humans will grow in technology. It's not that they'll grow in learning. It's not that they'll, you know, grow in effort. That's not the concern. God's concern is what humanity will do to itself if it sits right there. He's concerned with what will happen eternally to their hearts. If they sit there and go, we can figure it out, we can do it, we can this, we can this. In all of the we cans, we can, we can. They're also saying and implying, because we don't need you. We got this. And God goes, I don't want that. I want you to spread out because I want you to see your need for me. I want you to see how great this space is and and the fact that if you're out here on your own, you will kill yourself. I want you to see that you need faith, that you need me, that you need my intervention. That's what he wants. And so ultimately, what he wants, church, is for the gospel to be spread to every corner of the globe. And he knows if he lets them sit there, that will not occur. Pretty cool, right? All right here. God isn't threatened. God isn't nervous. God isn't scared. God's just being gracious. He's being gracious to come in and bust the whole thing up. Because they will, if left alone, build a delusion of their own power. I don't want that, God says. They'll build a delusion of self-sufficiency. God goes, I don't want that. And this delusion will harden their hearts against, ultimately, a need for a Savior to what? Come down to them and restore their eternal relationship. That's what they need. So he scatters them. (laughs) Right? The thing that they fear most happens in an instant. (laughs) Right? You almost get this comical view of they're like building mortar and building a skyscraper. And I, come on, they probably built it seven stories high and they're like, we have made it to the clouds. And God peels open heaven 
almost like looking in a microscope and goes, what on earth? And he's not saying what on earth because he's sovereign God. I get it. He looks and he goes, this is funny. And so he comes down. And so at Pentecost, flip side, it's funny. In this instant, he busts everything up. At Pentecost, he brings everything disunified back to one language. Pretty crazy, huh? You remember that passage in Pentecost? Everybody's speaking in a million different languages. And what does everybody say? I understand what they're saying. I know what they're talking about. And I don't know why. Our God can do things like this. And that's what he wants them to see. And that's what he wants us to see. And then second, gosh almighty, and we don't have time. Ah, could you, Zach, could you like take the clock and just wind it backwards? You got that? It's just so good, man. I don't, you know. Second, it shows us this. It shows us that the myth of multiple races is vitally important to understanding human relationships. And you heard me correctly. Multiple races is a myth that is not rooted in Scripture. Tabidi Anabwali, please take a picture of that and go to that website. I even created the hyperlink for you. I pray that it works. I went to tiny URL URL this morning and made the hyperlink. Go listen to Tabidi's message from 2008 at Together for the Gospel. It is unbelievable. Impacted my understanding of race in a way that nobody else has ever. And here's how he started out the whole message. Believing in race is a bit like believing in unicorns because race does not exist. And so as he unpacks this, he's ultimately taking it back to this Noahic moment. So, if you're sending money to Ancestry.com to find out where your ancestors came from, I would like for you to send me that money, please, and I will tell you where your ancestors came from. (laughs) Right here, Genesis chapter 10, there you go, and I'll even cut you a deal, 50 bucks. For 50 bucks, I'm going to give you that information, all right? So here's the deal. Um, You can be white and be of black ethnicity. You can be black and be of white ethnicity. And yes, there are certainly multiple ethnicities, cultures, but the color spectrum and Pantone in no way divides us. Period. And so in this moment, as a church, we should look at this and stand against any division based on the color of the Pantone scale. Just not biblical. We're united in Adam... We are united in Noah, we are united in Christ, we are united as the church, and we cannot be disunified by agendas, politics, flags, team colors, money, or the railroad tracks, church. And so in this moment, the only way we're divided from one another is through sin. That's it. And Christ broke down that dividing wall through his work on the cross. Like I said, man, that's, that's like a whole series. If we, if we preach topically as a church, buddy, you could do a lot of topical messages out of that right there. It's good stuff. Good stuff. So let's close it down. <clears throat> man, come on back up. If they could have messed it up, Noah, 
Ham, Sham, Japheth, they would have messed it up. <clears throat> and if we could mess it up, we'd mess it up, wouldn't we, church? But God. But God, out of all of this mess, how is he going to tie this sucker back together? Well, keep reading the genealogies. You're going to run across this guy named Eber. Now, that's a fun name. And we usually make jokes about funny names, but I won't do that because Nielsen Barnett's name really is Eber. So uh, we won't joke about the man's name. <laughs> but you ultimately make it to a guy named Eber. And God goes, like he always does, out of their nuttiness, I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to keep a remnant and I'm going to bring it through Eber. And that will set us up for our next text. Here we go. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham. I'm sorry, he's still Abram. Nahor and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Troy, what on earth did you just say? Here's what I said. We just moved out of the fourth major event into the first major person. The Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. <clears throat> well, Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for all of Genesis. It's just been so good. And as we move out of these events, I, I pray that whatever part has spoke to us, we'll continue to grow by the work of your Spirit. Whether it's just our warped understanding of racial division or our warped understanding of our self-sufficiency or God, our, our, our warped understanding of who you are. And we'll die to all of that and we'll settle in that we need you and they're thankful for Jesus who came down to us because we could not come up to you. So Lord, as we now worship and respond, I pray that the believer in this room will be strangely drawn closer to you and that the unbeliever in this room will be raptured by your grace and your effectual, irresistible call, God, that you would overcome their resistance in this moment to respond positively to you. God, that somebody today would find salvation in Jesus and not their own ability to work their way up the ladder. So Jesus, out of this text, I, I guess the whole grand theme to me, all of these events, Lord, is it really is an awesome thing to long to breathe the air of heaven. God, it's just it's an awesome thing to long to see how all generations ultimately impact one another for God's glory. The thousands of generations we've already seen through the first ten books of Genesis, how somehow that will culminate in a glorious moment. God, that it really is an awesome thing to long to be restored to the Creator. But God, that we'll see that it is an offense to attempt to find our way there 
than through any other means than the person and work of Jesus Christ.